Hello and welcome to The Automators. I'm David Sparks and joined by my co-host, Rosemary Orchard. Hello, Rosemary. Hello, David. How are you today? I am doing great and we've got a guest today that uh, we've had some listeners asking us about. I'm so happy to have him on the show. Welcome to the show, Dr. Drang. Hello. Good to be I, here. Now, Dr. Drang uh, belongs to all of us. He is a uh, fictional character on the internet who writes really cool things about automation quite frequently. And um, we've we've had him on the uh, Mac Power Users a couple times, so we've kind of got your origin story there. But I want to talk about it there a little bit. But before we do, I, I just have to tell you, Doctor, that um, I had a dream, a vivid dream this morning. You know how, like, this when you're bad. Wa- you know when you're waking <laughs> up, and uh, you, you those are the dreams I always remember. So like the like I let the alarm go and I turned it off and I slept like another thirty minutes. And in that thirty minutes, I had a dream where. On the show today, I said your actual name. And because it was a dream, we didn't edit that out. And the entire <laughs> internet hated me for outing you. Oh. I think I think I think a lot of the internet already knows who I am, which is yeah. <laughs> fine with me. But you know. <laughs> anyway, so I'm I'm keeping it up because what they you know, there's a history behind it now. Yeah. yeah, I think it's great. I think it's great. And so, folks who don't know Dr. Drang, he is a, a, a gentleman, a scientist, and a scholar, and, and also a nerd who likes to program his Macs and various iOS devices, um, and then he writes about it. And And so many of us enjoy your post because you may do a post about the reason why a bolt failed on your lawnmower or some really cool bit of Mac automation. You just never know what you're going to get. Um, when you head over to leancrew.com. So uh, so we all recommend you go ahead, go check it out. Well, thank you. I, yeah, I, I'm not really good at branding or, or, or staying in my lane, yeah. as it were. Well, I think your lane is very much the things that interest you. And somehow, I mean, I, I know nothing about mechanics and engineering or any of these things, but whatever you write about, you always manage to write it in a way that is really interesting for me. So I very much appreciate that. Well, thank you. That's good. That's nice to hear. I don't know if we've ever talked on a podcast before, but I, I also like the way you title your blog. And now it's all this, you know, that famous John Lennon yes. you know, r- radio interview. I don't know if everybody knows what that comes from. I guess we'll let you all go go find that on your own. And that's okay with me, uh, honestly. I, I yeah. One of the things I don't do uh, is I do explain the scripts probably to excess, um, but but I I. I leave a lot of things unsaid and unlinked to because yeah. yeah, discovery is fun. Yeah, exactly. I would just like to make a note here in the podcast that when I type in and now it's all this on DuckDuckGo, leancrew.com comes up first. So you are definitely doing great marketing there. Well, then I've got that brand. Okay, I'm better than wow. I thought. Wow, you're ahead of John Lennon. Yeah, I have you. to type in John Lennon at the end to get the the uh, the, the recording. So. <laughs> yeah, there there is though a problem here because you know okay, so my fictional name is one thing, the name of my blog uh, or the URL of the blog is another thing, and the name of the blog is is a completely different thing. That's really not that's not the way you're supposed to do things. No, man, you're, you you've got it all wrong. I mean, <laughs> yeah, Madison right. Avenue would be very upset with you. Yeah, well, lucky me. But but we all love you because you bring some great automation stuff. We got some specific automations we're going to share with you in today's show and. And I, I, you know, yeah, I feel like this is right in the wheelhouse of this show. I love talking to people about how they've solved a unique or not so unique problem with automation, what they were thinking, and how they pulled it off, and 
and hopefully we can inspire a few of the listeners to to take off. Uh, the ones we're going to cover today, we're, we're not going to get there just yet, but we're going to talk about the way you're automating your invoicing and some of the cool stuff you're doing on iOS with drafts. But but before we do that, um, I just want to, we've talked to you on Mac Power Users. Like I said, I'm going to link those shows uh, in this show as well. But But just tell me a little bit about how you got started with computers because you and I are of an age where we got to kind of see all this come together. Yeah. Well, I, uh, started the way I think most people my age got started, which is, you know, I did, I didn't have a personal computer, um, uh, and until I was in my twenties and, uh, cause they weren't really around, um, yeah. much. There, there were some around when I was in my teens, but, but you know, who, what was the point of that? Uh, so my first uh, work with computers was when I was a freshman in college, and I took the introductory programming course that all engineers took, which was Fortran. And um, this is far enough back that I learned how I had to learn how to use a key punch machine because all of our programs were submitted uh, with punch cards. And you, this was all done on a mainframe, of course. Uh, and so we, you know, you would write your program out. On paper, uh, in fact, because Fortran was very picky about the columns you started in and things like that, um, there was special paper that we had. It was very wide paper, and you would fill in a character per grid. There was a there was a grid system, and so you you write your your program out on that. Uh, eventually, you, you actually pretty quickly you got tired of doing it that way. But th- that's how you started. And then you'd go to the key punch machine and you'd wait around in the key punch area until somebody one was open and you'd go in there and you'd grab it and you'd type things out and you'd get a stack of cards and then you'd take the cards over to a little desk and deliver it and then you'd wait around to get a printout which typically showed that your program failed somewhere and you'd have to try to figure out why it failed and then you'd go back and do this you know change a card here, here or there and uh, do it again and, and do it again and do it again until eventually your program ran this was not a very efficient process as you're saying that I'm thinking about the other day I was talking to a nerd friend and I just went on this rant about tags in iOS and how it's so much scrolling and you know, <laughs> poor me special snowflake I don't want to scroll so much to get to my tags and I was thinking Oh yeah, when we started this, we were using punch cards. <laughs> well, you know, you're, you're still—it's still—it's still a valid complaint to complain about how much we have to scroll to to either find our shortcuts or find tags or find anything. Uh, yeah. You know, it, 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 no, it's still—it's still awful. It's all computers have always been awful, and they will always yeah. remain awful. <laughs> often user hostile. Often, <laughs> yes, yes. So, did you have any automations that would help you if you dropped all of your punch cards? Because I know people did do that. You would drop all of your punch cards and then they'd all be out of order. Did you have any system to help you get around that? No, that's when you no. just quit and went to art school, right? <laughs> that's, that's right. No, I, there, I don't know of any way to fix that. The, 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 real, the key thing uh, was, I mean, all of my cards... Uh, I could I could re, I could reorder because the programs weren't really that long, um, but there were the uh, the special job control language the JCL cards that had to go in front that um, were magical and which because we were learning Fortran the teachers we didn't I never learned JCL these were just magic cards that I stuck in the front uh, all the time. And I never knew what order they were supposed to be in. I just kept them in the order that they were, and 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 you know, God forbid. Luckily, they never they never they never got out of order. 
So I don't know. There, there are obviously were terrible stories about uh, people who dropped their cards who had you know real substantial programs, and those would, that's a nightmare. I mean, you might as well just start over again. It was terrible. So this is the story of how David ended up in law school versus in programmer school, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I my problem my whole life has been I don't have enough discipline to do one thing. And let's just leave it at that. That's a good thing. But you eventually, you worked through the usual suspects, Pascal, Basic, you know, um, that that was the start for me, Basic, writing the 10-speed to, to Radio Shack and, and programming their computers. That's how I got started. And I used I used basic first, uh, not the way most people did. I didn't use it. I, I didn't program personal computers in basic. I actually programmed mainframes in basic um, because a, a particular class that I was taking wanted us to do um, finite difference uh, solutions to differential equations, and uh, basic had uh, the basic that was on a mainframe had a matrix inversion command that was very that was great uh, if you were into numerical analysis it was just one command I think it was INV and uh, so that's why we we did our uh, programming in that class in basic I had already learned Pascal Pas- the Pascal class which I took as a senior was probably the class that was the class where I learned structured programming that was the paradigm at the time this is the uh, very late 70s early 80s um, and that was really where I learned how to break up a program into uh, in, into different pre- what were called procedures and functions in Pascal, um, and and be a little bit better about naming variables and things like that. So I, I would say that's where I really learned programming was in that Pascal class, not in the Fortran class. And how did you get started with automation? These classes were all, were all you know very uh, directed toward answering engineering problems, not answering office work type problems. So I I started automation probably in the mid to late 80s uh, after I had a job, and uh, it was with HyperCard. When HyperCard came out, I went all in on HyperCard and HyperTalk, the language uh, behind HyperCard. And I, I believe... I even made some HyperTalk external commands that I programmed either in Pascal or possibly even assembly language to do a couple of things. That was it's kind of hazy with with time on that, but so there in the uh, in the mid to late eighties when I don't remember exactly when HyperCard came out, um, but I I had I had all of my contacts in HyperCard. I had my calendar in HyperCard. I uh, my Mac would start up in HyperCard, not in the Finder. Uh, back in those days, you could do that. There was no, there was no uh, um, multi-Finder back back in those days. You know, it was one process at a time, sort of like the way when the iPad iPad came out. So I launched my I launched applications from within HyperCard. Uh, it was uh, as I said, I went all in on it, and I and I used it for several years that way. I, I dialed my phone. With, uh, with from HyperCard, you know, from my contacts database that was inside it, it was uh, it was a wonderful program. It was a wonderful uh, programming environment, one that I, uh, I and lots of people who are of our age and who uh, you know, cut their teeth on HyperCard 
miss it greatly. It was it was a spectacular programming environment. You know, when you say HyperCard, I just smile. I mean, I don't know anybody that you started with HyperCard that doesn't love that application. Yeah, nobody hated HyperCard. It was great. I mean, it was, and it just like opened the world to me. I mean, in terms of things you could do with a Macintosh. Uh, years ago, well, not, I mean, a few years ago, back when Macworld was a thing, uh, one year Bill Atkinson was there. And, um, oh, yeah. And, you know, and everybody was like swooning over him. And, and to me, you know, the biggest contribution he ever made was HyperCard. He's the guy behind HyperCard as well as Mac Paint. And I think he did yes. Mac Right too. I mean, he, uh, he didn't do Mac right, but he but he did do he did all of the graphics of what was called the Macintosh toolbox. So yeah. all everything that was in the ROM of the yeah. Mac in those early days, that was all him. Yeah, I mean, he's the one that when they brought on the productivity expert at Apple, who wanted the programmers to turn in the number yes. of lines of code they wrote every week. <laughs> Yeah, he wrote he turned and, and it, you know he he turned in a report that he wrote negative like ten thousand lines of code because he solved a problem and was able to delete a bunch of code. <laughs> yes, and, and I and I think the story was they they stopped asking after that because he made his point. Yeah, no, it's no, he was uh, he was an astounding program and, and a guy who wasn't trained as a programmer because back in those days, you know, programmers did not necessarily come out with CS degrees. Just as a, a, an aside story, he's a wonderfully, very nice guy. He's a photographer now, and he had an app mm-hmm. for a while uh, in the App Store. And, and the year I met him was the year they had announced the iPad, but at Mac World it wasn't out yet. And I said, well, I said, I bet you're looking forward to getting your hands on one. And he says, oh, no, I already played with Steve's. <laughs> that's, that's what he <laughs> said to me. <laughs> uh, that's like, showing oh, okay. off. I like that. that. You know, what? I kind of felt like it was, but I, I kind of pulled it out of him. He didn't like go there immediately, so oh, I, no. I'm going to give that one to him. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, HyperCard was amazing. In fact, I always feel like you know, and you may disagree with me later. I, I feel like Siri Shortcuts is kind of a modern version of HyperCard in a lot of ways. Yeah, well, you and I have. I, I we'll get into this. I, yeah, I'm not I know. as it's enamored an of, of shortcuts <laughs> as, as you are, which may get me banned from this podcast later on. But but uh, we are we'll, never we'll banning the is. snowman. Let's just be clear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so then there was sort of like a fallow period where I, you know, I wasn't doing a lot of automation, and then uh, when I abandoned the Mac uh, for Linux in the late '90s, then automation really came back because everything you do in a, in a Unix environment is, is scripting to some extent or another, and you really don't use Unix properly unless you're doing some kind of scripting. And that's when I started doing, uh, I learned a little bit of bash. I can't, I can't script in bash. It doesn't, it doesn't, my brain doesn't work that way. Um, it's syntax is just, it's just awful. Uh, but I learned Perl and I, and I pro and you, People think Perl syntax is terrible. No, Perl syntax is actually not bad at all. Uh, you just have to you just have to work with it. Uh, I used Perl for several years, and then of course, then I went into Python, which is what I uh, program in today and do all, most of my automation in if I can. I've been encountering Perl at work. Let's say I've not written anything in Perl, but there are a lot of scripts written in Perl running around. And I have to say, as somebody who's you know my my first programming experience as programming language was Java, not JavaScript, Java. Um, and uh, as somebody who started with that, looking at Perl, it's actually, you know, 
I don't know why why it's got this bad reputation, but I quite like it. It's very readable. The problem comes in if because a lot of I think because a lot of Perl uses regular expressions. It's one of the great features of Perl are regular expressions, and regular expressions can just look awful. I mean, they're 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 very co- they're terse. They're great for programming in because they are terse because they are so very expressive in a short number of characters, but that also makes it hard to read. That's why people, That's why Perl has gotten the reputation of line noise. But that's just regular expressions. That's not Perl, because regular expressions look horrible in every language. <laughs> or at least is they can. Perl, is there Perl without regular expressions, though, really? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. I, I, I'm, not sure I ever, I'm not sure I ever wrote a program in Perl that didn't have regular expressions in it. And, and, you know, we talk often on this show about for folks who are, don't make their living programming, you know, where, where it, but you want to get better at automation, what are some things you can do to get better? And I've never really got on this horse publicly before, but I do think as, as much as people make fun of regular expressions, they're not that hard to learn and they can come in super handy if you like to automate things. They're fantastic. And, and the key is, you, you learn them a little bit at a time. You don't try to absorb the whole thing at once. You don't start going into negative look ahead right from day one. You do th- you you learn about, you know, what are the special characters and what does the star mean and what does the dot mean and what does a plus mean? And then you slowly get up into, you know, think enclosing things in square brackets and you know, character classes. That's how you do it. As you as you learn almost anything, you try to start with the simplest stuff, uh, and then you move on, and you and you slowly build things up. And it's it, it is. Uh, uh, there was a sort of a back and forth kind of thread with uh, on, uh, Jason Snell wrote a, wrote a post, and I wrote kind of a, a response post to it about regular expressions, and, and Gruber may have gotten involved in it as well. I mean, <laughs> they are just. They're just wonderful things that increase your power uh, tremendously. They give you leverage. I skipped over it. Uh, if you're listening, you have no idea what I'm talking about when I say regular expressions. <laughs> it's it's a le- it's basically a search language. You know, you know, you 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 know, you do find in your word processor. You say find a word that has this in it. With regular expressions, you can make that much much smarter. I guess is that a good way to summarize? How would you summarize yeah, it? It's generalizing the idea of finding, and so instead of finding a particular, you know, CAT everywhere in your, in your, uh, in a file, you can look at uh, C, then a vowel, and then T, mm-hmm. or or CAT possibly with an S after it, but possibly not with an S after it, and you can look for CAT. Um, Case sensitive or, in, or or not case sensitive. Always, most search and search tools will do that, even without regular expressions. Um, it, it, it's expanding the idea of what search and replace does. Yeah. Like I often use it when I'm using searching for things that have sequential numbers in it because there's placeholders in there that, that say any three numbers. It doesn't matter which ones, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And then you can find the files that may have some. You know, some declaration at the beginning, and then three numbers afterwards. You find any three. You know, it's just and and like Doctor Drang was saying, if you're ever doing searches and you realize, hey, this is a lot harder, or the tools I have aren't strong enough to find what I need, that's a great opportunity to go into regular expressions 
And, and there are online resources to help you learn those. And once you have that tool in your belt, you find all sorts of uses for it in automation. Definitely. There are uh, online uh, regular expression, apart from learning how to use them, there are also online uh, regular expression testers. So you can give it some text, try out your regular expression before you destroy your text and, and see, uh, experiment with, you know, well, well, what, what does this regular expression find? What does this one find? And so on. I think there's even, and I, I I haven't looked into this, so I'm kind of talking uh, sideways here, but I believe there's even apps in the app store that will teach you regular expressions, you know, kind of walk you through. So there right. are, and well, that was a little bit of a side thing there, but uh, we've never come. It's, the subject's never come up, but I think it's something that automators should definitely put on their list. Yeah, well, discursive talk is my middle name. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, well, I want to talk about some of the automation you're doing right now, but first, uh, let's hear from our first sponsor. This episode of Automators is brought to you by our awesome friends at Luna Display. The only hardware solution that turns your iPad into a wireless display for your Mac. Use promo code AUTOMATORS at checkout for 10% off. Luna Display is a little piece of hardware that plugs into your Mac. Once you set it up, you can use your iPad as a second display that's super portable with basically zero lag and a gorgeous image quality. Setting up extra screens can be fiddly, but Luna Display couldn't be easier. Just plug in the piece of hardware in your Mac and you're good to go. Plus, everything works over Wi-Fi. But you're a busy person, so you might be traveling without a Wi-Fi connection. No worries, just connect with USB. It's super simple to get set up, and you'll love that extra screen real estate. I usually have my big iPad Pro sitting right next to my iMac. With the Luna display now, I just have to tap one button to make that display into a secondary monitor. It's great when you need some off-screen reference. For instance, right now as I record this podcast, I've got Luna Display showing all my recording tools. That way I can look at my big screen and focus on the content for you, dear listener, but at the same time be a professional podcaster and make sure that I actually did press the record button. Luna Display is a complete extension to your Mac. It supports external keyboards as well as Apple Pencil and touch interactions. It basically turns your Mac into a touchscreen device, and the all-new Liquid Video Engine brings significantly reduced latency and faster screen refresh rates. Listeners of Automators can get an exclusive 10% off Luna Display. Just go to lunadisplay.com and enter promo code AUTOMATORS at checkout. That's A-U-T-O-M-A-T-O-R-S at checkout at lunadisplay.com to get your 10% off. So go there now, upgrade your setup. You're going to lovelunadisplay.com and use promo code AUTOMATORS to get 10% off. Our thanks to Luna Display for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Dr. Drang, you recently did a post about the various iterations of your automation and your invoicing system. And I thought it was kind of fascinating the way it's evolved over the years. And I was wondering if you could share some of that with us. Yeah, this is, in one way or another, I have been invoice, uh, automating my invoicing and sort of project tracking uh, system, system might be too strong a word, uh, for over 20 years. And th- things have changed <laughs> over those 20 years. And so there, there are a, 
a few parts to it, and it's this is a system that has obviously evolved. It's not; it didn't just spring out of my head uh, like Athena from the head of Zeus. It, it, it fully formed. No, it's it's something that you build up over time, and that's the way a lot of automation systems work. Is that you get an idea about first you've done something repetitively. And you think, well, I don't want to do this repetitively anymore. I, I want to automate it. And then you start automating certain things. And usually you start off by kind of mimicking the way you do it by hand. That's usually not a great way. To, it's a good way to start, but it's usually not the, the, the best way to automate it. And then you learn, oh, no, I can do it a different way. And then you find another thing. Well, I've had to, I have to prep certain things to get that automation to run right. Maybe I can automate the prep work too. And, and things expand. And then, you know, uh, so my, my invoicing system, um, as I say, started back when I was uh, using Linux. And this was back when I, when we had paper invoices coming out of my company's invoicing uh, uh, system, our accounting system. And I would make a paper cover letter to go with it. And, stick it in an envelope and put a stamp on it and so forth and send it off. So I automated the cover letter uh, to, it, it was very much like, it was, this was not much more than a text expander kind of thing, except because I was in Linux and it was 1997. Uh, I wasn't, uh, I, there was no text expander. It was, I wrote a Perl script that would make a billing letter for me. And when I came back to the Mac, I started changing things around and things, things we shifted to, I shifted to email, emailing uh, my invoices that were PDFs uh, to the client. And so uh, my, my system in a nutshell is this. Uh, first, there is the new product project script. So when I write up, a new, when I get a new project from a client, uh, this is something that runs still entirely on the Mac. I haven't uh, expanded it to be able to work on, a, on iOS yet. But I enter the information. Uh, it, it basically prompts me who's the client, what's the project name, that sort of thing. And it makes a database entry for me in a, uh, in, in a database that I have locally on my machine. Well, I'm, I'm also using, uh, uh, what's it called, Airtable. I have both Airtable and an SQ, uh, uh, SQLite uh, database. I'm, I'm actually doing things in parallel. Rose, have you noticed how often Airtable comes up lately? Something <laughs> tells me we're going to need an episode on this, right? I, everybody's using Airtable. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of on this. I'm still keeping it there. I'm starting to use it a little bit less for this particular one. But yeah, Airtable is a, is a lovely thing. Uh, and so, uh, so it does that. It makes it makes a data, two database entries in two different databases because I'm redundant. It makes a mail folder in in mail because I have to organize my email by the jobs that I am working on. It and then it makes a subdirectory uh, with the name of the name of the project, and then within that, it makes some other folders for photographs that I might take on the project, invoices, and, and other things. Um, so that, so that's like a, that's one thing. Then when an invoice comes out, I have the invoice as a PDF and I run another script and that does a few things. First, it attaches any expense reports associated with that invoice to it. It attaches a W9 for my company to it. Then it creates an email cover letter 
uh, it attaches this. Uh, it attaches the invoice, which now has the expense report and the W nine appended to it. It attaches that to the cover letter and gives some sort of boilerplate language about uh, you know here here is invoice number such and such is for X number of dollars on this project. Uh, please pay. And then the um, the uh, uh, script then adds a reminder to me. In in reminders, I have a, an invoice list uh, in reminders, and it adds one uh, reminding me to follow up on this invoice in roughly forty five days um, if it hasn't been paid, and that's. Actually, uh, there's a there's a bit of fun calendar uh, uh, scripting in there because I like scripting calendar stuff. It actually follows up. It'll it will remind me to follow up on the first Tuesday that happens, either 45 days or or more afterward. And I chose Tuesday because it's a weekday, it's early in the week, and it's almost never a holiday. And it's just that way. All my follow up happens on the same day every week, and I don't have to think about following up with invoices. And so um, when I get that reminder, I have to send out a new, uh, a new letter, an email to the client saying, hey, how come you haven't paid? And this is now also run by a script. It's actually, fundamentally, it's a, uh, a task paper, uh, I'm sorry, a uh, um, keyboard maestro uh, action that runs every Tuesday morning, looks through my reminders, figures out which ones are due today, creates a, 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 an email for each one of them, a follow-up email saying, hey, you haven't paid, this invoice is now X days old, uh, and attaches the invoice to that one, and then saves it as a draft, as a draft email. Yeah. And then later on in the day, when I get the reminder saying, hey, you know, follow up on these, I open those up, maybe tweak the language a little bit depending how, on how angry I am at the client for yeah. not paying up. Sure. Uh, You've got the one that says, hey, maybe this fell through the cracks, and the other one says, pay me. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's, when can I expect payment on this? Yeah. Um, and, and, and then I send them out during, during the day. So it's, you know, it's not fully automated. I do not want uh, emails going to my clients without me looking them over mm-hmm. before yeah. they go out. But it's it's... I think automated now to a point that is, that makes sense. And, um, this, this has, again, this has developed over years and years and years of me figuring out, Oh, I want to be able to do this. Oh, my system only does this. I'd like to add a little bit more. I'd like to, things changed, you know, going from paper to, to uh, PDFs. So, and, and this last change was having it run automatically to create the emails and save them as drafts because I started realizing I'm not always in the office on Tuesday mm-hmm. and I still want to send this email off. I want to be able to do it from my iPad uh, or my phone yeah. for that matter. And if they're and drafts, now I can do that there. because it's yeah. exactly, uh, they're already there. Yeah. Have you so considered you- adding a priority to the reminders? So if there's a priority set, then it knows that it needs to use the angry drang template Otherwise, it knows that it's using the normal template. You know, it's so hard to figure out when I should be angry or, or not. And honestly, at some point, my default becomes anger. Ah, uh, so, so it's better to start so, with the, I, the less angry template. 
Exactly. It's it's so much easier to send the one out that, that is gentle. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the one I normally send out. But every once, you know, I start. Thinking, is it worth me going in there and fiddling with the language on this one? Oh yeah, yes it is. I, this, this this is egregious. You know, especially when I look at and I see. Oh, it's 180 days uh, now that it's it's that old, and the language starts getting more strict. Yeah, that's what when I start putting the number of days in is when you know I'm starting to to get ready to, to get rid of you. <laughs> it has helped actually. Uh, I f- I find uh, since doing this and, and having a system for following up in particular, I've always had a system for generating the original invoice. But m- but my system for following up was a bit more haphazard in the past. And over the last few years, when I have this sort of automatic reminder saying, you know, you need to you need to follow up with these people. Um, I have been doing it more, and I have been getting paid more, more close to on time yep. than in the past. By the way, those reminders all, all have uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, uh, where it it'll do it again in two weeks, or every three. I'll repeat a repeat thing mm-hmm. that does it every two or three weeks, um, depending on what. And that also is something. Unfortunately, that's something I cannot automate. the 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 addition of a repetitive uh, feature to a reminder is something that Apple Script does not allow you to do. So that has to be done by hand in the middle of creating the reminder. So the the automation kind of makes the reminder leaves reminders up on my screen to uh, essentially prompt me to go ahead and and add that uh, repeat feature to it. And you've been generous with this. You posted a blog post where you listed all of these scripts, and and you're running it through a Python script, but the Apple Script language is embedded in that script. So anybody that wants to just do this with Apple Script could do it. You could. I don't. I don't recommend it uh, to doing things because there's a certain amount of uh, uh, text processing, and there's a certain amount of uh, uh, calendar processing. That I think Python is just flatly better at than than Apple Script. But yes, I write Apple Script inside my Python, and I have um, a uh, a self made, uh, very simple uh, library called I think it's called Apple Script, and it has only a couple of uh, uh, couple of commands in it. One of them I think is quote, and one of them is run. And so usually I just create a string that would be my Apple script in the, in, within the Python program. I create a string for the command that I would give in Apple script. And then there's a, you know, Apple script dot run that string and it does it. But the, but the point is you can actually take pieces of this out. If you're listening and you think, well, oh, yeah. I'd, I'd like to do that little piece that he's doing a lot of this, uh, the scripting in here, you could completely separate. Uh, I'd like to talk about one piece of it that you did that kind of, made my eyebrows jump is when you're doing your reminders, you said it's looking at your, presumably your database and looking, it's doing a date check to figure out the ones that are unpaid and seven weeks old. How are you, how are you figuring that out um, auto, automatically? It's, it, it is uh, not so much doing it that way. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's actually looking in reminders and looking at the due date in reminders. Mm-hmm. So my, what my script does on Tuesday morning is say, which reminders have come due today? Okay. And AppleScript AppleScript allows you to do that. 
the AppleScript library uh, or dictionary for reminders has pieces like that, uh, commands for doing that. So what it does is it gives me a list then of all of the invoices that, um, or all of the reminders, because it doesn't really know about invoices, but it, it reads the text of all the reminders. Then it parses and, and figures out which ones are due that day. Then it parses the reminder itself, and I and I you know, the reminder says it's invoice number X for Y amount of money and so on uh, on project number Y. And then it looks in the database to figure out who the client is for project number Y and what his or her email address is. And so that's how it helps make the, uh, uh, the reminder email. Well, I think it's, it's brilliant. And I love that you shared this whole thing. I mean, he, explains it all in the blog post and then you can download the entire python script you could run the system yourself if you want i i love you know th- this is something you do often dr drang where you there'll be some problem and you have basically homebrewed your own solution to it and uh i think it's probably your hobby right i mean you do a lot of it this is. stuff and uh but it's yeah. just it's fascinating to see how you do this stuff and and so often the thing you've built is better than anything out there that, you know, it's more customized to what you need. I remember years ago, I used to read the ongoing um, pr- uh, problems you were having as you built your own custom, basically weather app because you wanted the exact weather <laughs> where you're located. Yeah. yeah that Are you was, still doing that? that? Uh, well, I was up until re- I was still using that up until recently. Uh, it was working, but um, what I don't remember what was it? Yeah, uh, was it Yahoo? No, I think it was um, uh, whatever third party weather API I was lo- logging into. Uh, oh, it was Weather Underground. Mm. It was Weather Underground. Yeah, weather Underground. And well, they they shut themselves down. And so I kept checking my my weather apps, and they kept working for a month or two after Weather Underground said they were shutting down their API. So they didn't really shut their web, but it's dead now. Yeah. Um, they, 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 when I when I open those pages now, because uh, they were basically just web pages that were sort of made on the fly um, through like JavaScript or whatever, and uh, now they're dead now. So I'm uh, so I have to use more standard uh, weather apps, and and I ha- I haven't gone back to to find another API uh, to do that. It's it's something that I maybe when I retire I will go back to <laughs> go back to doing that. Retired people are a lot more interested in the weather. I think. Well, I think it depends on where you live. If you live in California, like David, then basically you just need to check whether or not it's the right season for rain, right? Yeah, I honestly, I, all I need to know is it going to rain and. <laughs> The almost always the answer is no. So <laughs> yeah, well, it's really not well, a problem. Are, things are more interesting here in the Midwest, yeah. <laughs> and so and so it's nice to know what's what's going on and what's going on this afternoon, even though things look nice now. So you also do some automation on the iOS side, and I know that you're a big user of the Drafts app, which uh, by the way just released the uh, Mac version of Drafts. Yeah, which which is uh, very nice. And it, and it was a, has been, I think, to all of us, because I think we all use drafts, uh, has been a big help because I do a lot of writing in drafts, and then getting it over to my Mac was not a horrible problem, but typically the way I would do it is I would you know, write it out to a Dropbox file 
so yeah. that I could then pick it up on my Mac. Well, now it's much easier. I just open drafts, and it's you know, I was on the. I typically don't do betas because I'm a terrible beta tester. I am not good at giving feedback because I just get lost in the work that pays me, and I and I forget to to follow up with people. But I did do the beta on that because it was just it was wonderful and greg pierce did a really good job on on this so now i just walk over uh to my mac and there it is and i can do whatever i want with the text um from from within drafts yes but yeah i do i do a lot of i do a surprising amount of automation within drafts now i use drafts i'm not I, i i like to have one text editor per platform Okay. Uh, I don't like using lots of different ones, just because, and especially on iOS, because um, the the standards f- for keyboard shortcuts when you have a keyboard hooked up, things like that, aren't as well established on yeah. iOS as they yeah, are. On it the it Mac. definitely varies between apps on iOS. Oh yeah, it yeah. Does. So I I I try not to have to remember any of that stuff, and so now it's not to say that I don't change. But I like to work primarily with one at a time, and the one that I'm using now more than any other is is drafts. I do use Textastic a, a bit because it's got a broader range of um, syntax highlighting for me. Uh, drafts is pretty well limited in its syntax highlighting to Markdown and JavaScript, um, and then the, the, the very task paper and the, and the simple list thing. But uh, and I. I write in LaTeX and I program in in Python, and so I, I like having Textastic sometimes. But uh, mostly, I do still uh, write in in drafts, and so I have, geez, a, a variety of things uh, that have sort of crept in uh, through drafts, a variety of automations. So uh, one of them, one set of them, is uh, I. I have been blogging through drafts pretty much exclusively for a couple of years now. Um, and I have, over the time, built up a lot of little actions that help me out. Uh, and, and, and like all automations, there are things that I did by hand and then decided I'm tired of doing this by hand. It's taking too long. Or it, it's not so much that it takes so long. It, it takes you out of the flow of what you're doing. Yes. You know, if I if I want to add a link, I don't want to have to think about going over here, grabbing the URL, coming back, putting the the markdown text in, and then going down because I I put all my uh, links at the bottom. I use the markdown reference link style sure. instead of inline, and so doing all of that. By the time I'm done with it, I have forgotten what I was writing about because mm-hmm. uh, I'm old and I forget things. So. That's really it's and, and of course I make mistakes in doing that. You can get you get the syntax wrong a little bit sometimes. So automation fixes the fact that you that you get taken out of the flow of your work, and it fixes the fact that you might make mistakes because if you get the automation right, which sometimes takes a little while, but once you get the automation right, it's right all the time from that point on. So I have and actually that particular piece of automation is not one that I wrote. It's one that I that I stole. Well, stole. It's it's in the actions directory, and it was written by. It's called uh, Markdown Reference Link. Yeah, and it was written by uh, P. Davison Reber, mm-hmm. and it, it's excellent. And it mimics well, mimics 
I'm sure he did this on his own or she did this on his own, on her own. The, um, but, but it matches so perfectly an Apple script that I wrote many years ago for doing this in BB edit. It does it. It does exactly what I, what I used to do in BB edit, except it does it in drafts. So I was thinking about writing my own. I was thinking about taking that Apple script and converting it into JavaScript so that it would work in, in drafts and realized, Oh, I don't have to. This this is already done for me. So there's that one. There there are uh, when I need to uh, add a uh, an image link. Very simple to do. I and so I have I have a drafts action for doing that. If I want to add a YouTube video link, I have a drafts action for that. That just makes me. I only have to press one button. Uh, I have. Uh, one for adding footnotes. Again, press a button. It looks like an asterisk. You know, uh, is the is what the button looks like. And then, uh, you know, finally, oh, it, you know, because I, um, because a lot of my blog posts have scripts in them, uh, I like to line number the scripts, and so I have a uh, an action that will add line numbers to a selected portion of a draft. And format things the way I like to have things formatted uh, for that. And uh, finally, and this was perhaps the most difficult thing, uh, is the part that it publishes now. So uh, it goes to my server. I have a, I have a button that I press. It goes to the server and runs the uh, the code that converts the Markdown into HTML puts it, incorporates it into the directory structure of my blog and therefore publishes it. Uh, and then finally, there's a button uh, for tweeting a link to it. And again, that doesn't do it directly on the iPad. It goes off, uh, I believe, it goes off to the server, right? Yeah, I think it goes off to the server, not to one of my Macs, and runs a particular script that accesses the Twitter API to add a uh, add a link uh, to that uh, a Twitter link a Twitter tweet with a link to that post just like you don't want to automate sending an email to a client I am terrified of automating pressing the post button <laughs> <laughs> yeah. see I find it's much easier to edit a blog post after I've published it versus calling back an email that I've already hit send on yeah well, <laughs> yes, there is that. Yes, because <laughs> so, I can always hop onto I'll hop onto into my I've I've just switched back to WordPress, so everything's confusing. Uh, but I can always hop into WordPress and change the status back to draft, and hope that nobody's seen it and that the automatic tweet hasn't gone out yet. Um, and then mess around if I realize that I have a massive typo or accidentally forgot a code block, which happens every once in a while. Yeah. So uh, typically, I will go ahead and publish it. And then it's out there for the world. And then I go look at it uh, in Safari and I see, oh, that's not good. And I go back and I tweak it. And, you know, of course I don't find everything, but I, but I tweak it to at least the mistakes that I find and then republish it. Cause my, my published script allows me to distinguishes between things that are new and things that are uh, uh, reworked, edited. And, uh, and until then, after I've done that, then I say, okay, fine, I'll I'll tweet out the link because people. It, it's surprising to me because I really don't think Twitter is a great way of finding stuff. Uh, I still prefer RSS, and I think I will always prefer RSS. 
but uh, lots of people get their information through Twitter, and that's why I still tweet those out. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I, I have to say a lot of people do, or they like to reply on Twitter. And so if you've already got the the post out there, then of course it's an easy one one spot for everybody to talk back area. It is. And, and when I gave up, uh, when I gave up uh, comments, uh, when I stopped using comments on my site many years ago, um, I figured Twitter would take over, and it's and it's worked out well. Yes. Remember when that was a big deal about bloggers and comments? <laughs> it just, I mean, that was so. There was so much ink spilled on the internet over whether you put comments on your blog, and now just nobody does it. Very, well. Uh, uh, there are certain blogs uh, that that are not in our business in in our world, but political blogs live by by comments because they have a community and people argue with one another and things like that. And I think they wouldn't be as uh, the blog comments are still just as bad as they are everywhere else, if not worse. But but uh, that's how they how those kinds of bloggers build up a community is by letting their readers uh, spew. Yeah. Like I said, for for most of us though, there's no more comments. I mean, I guess that's really the reason why these forums have have come back is we wanted a place, but but we didn't want to have to deal with all the uh, the comment spamming we were getting on blogs a few years ago, which was terrible. Yes, definitely, and, and was one of the reasons why I got, I got rid of it. I just I'm I'm tired of policing the comments. Uh, going back into drafts, so you mentioned that you you tap on buttons. Do you use that with the the keyboard row, or do you use that with the action group popped out? It's it's the keyboard row mm-hmm. uh, typically. So I have I have a blogging uh, set yeah. that comes up, and so I choose that one. So then across the keyboard row, and and, we, and of course I'm usually typing on a, a physical keyboard, so that keyboard row shows up all the way down at the bottom. It's still on the screen. But there it is, and so you know, yeah, no, exactly. I, I uh, pop them, and I'm I'm usually working in split screen when I'm writing a blog post because I have either uh, transit open in the in the other uh, half of split screen where I'm you know going through the the various images that I'm going to put in the post, or I have Safari open in the other one, which is you know where the links are going to be. So you haven't yet really replaced transit. I have been using a uh, file explorer and file browser and my uh, script for adding uh, image links does allow me, it, it, it's a, it's um, tolerant of whether I'm getting that URL out of uh, transit transmit or, or out of file explorer, or maybe it's file browser, file browser. Actually, I think um, I am waiting uh uh, transmit is not going to last forever, but I'm I'm happy that I have it, and I still use it. I'm going to keep I'm going to use it until it until it stops working, because I I really like it. I find I, it is file browser and file explorer are both okay, they're both fine, but they just do not look like a panic app, and they don't work like a panic app. And uh, honestly, the the guys the the, the guys at Panic just understand how I use an app. I don't know whether they understand how other people do, but boy, the transmit just works so well for me. And for and those I, in the audience who don't aren't up on this panic is just an amazing development house out of Portland. They made this great app, this FTP app for iOS called 
transmit. They also make it for Mac, and they just stopped. You know, they stopped. They weren't making enough money on it, and now all of us. And there really isn't an equal replacement. I wish kind of that they had just like doubled the price just to see what would happen. Yeah, um, you know, but the because um, I yeah, think come out those with the new version, I'll pay it, for it paid. again. Yeah, yeah. It, it's 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 unfortunate, and you know, every time Panic uh, uh, tweets out something, oh, there's a new version of Transmit. You know, my heart jumps, and okay, no, no, it's the one for the Mac, which yeah, I love. Transmit I mean, I'm really Mac. happy. I use Panic obviously on the Mac as well, and I and it's a great program, and I love it. Um, but oh, oh, I, I really wish they would they would go back to it. I understand their reasons. Yeah. yeah. It's a shame, though, because it had shortcuts integration, which I used so much myself to get images uploaded, and I miss it. It's If they went with a subscription uh, system, and you know, obviously, like many people, I'm not thrilled with subscriptions, but Transmit, I would subscribe to, just as I have with drafts. Yeah, it, we all, we all have our worth apps. It. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they are, exactly. It's worth it. And uh, they kind of... If I'm remembering right, they kind of sh- decided to shut it down before subscriptions became a a big thing, uh, which is too bad. Uh, yeah. I, w- I would have liked them to try that, you know, try one more thing before deciding to shut it down. But yeah. obviously, they have a business to run. Well, at least it's still running for you, which is an indication of how well it's written, because Apple is changing things underneath, uh, but it's still running along because. They didn't do obviously. They didn't do cheating things in the development of that app, or if they did, they were extremely clever about it. So I, you know, they were using they apparently were using standard APIs and those you know very solid parts of the IO the underlying iOS structure, and that's why it's still working. Because gosh, how long has it been since they announced that they were they were done with it? They stopped developing on it quite a while ago. I just found the link to add it to the show notes, and they announced that January fifth, two thousand eighteen, so over a year ago. Oh, yeah. that's I, gosh! It seems like it was longer ago than that. It Maybe does. it's just because I've been, I've been, I've been feeling angst about it for such a long time. Yes, dead man walking software. Yeah, yeah. Yes. exactly. But you know, and then like iOS thirteen is going to come out, and it's going to have all these cool new features, but it may have a cost for you a a, a dire cost. It may it, be the it end might. Of, Yes. And, I, and, and I have substitutes ready to go. I just, I just would rather not, if, <laughs> if possible. Well, if the good folks at Panic are listening, we will give you the money. Just give us transmit for iOS back. <laughs> Between the three of us, I'm sure we could, uh, we could convince them, right? Oh yeah, we're we're super wealthy. The three of us, we could we could fund it entirely, right? Yeah, yeah, um, and maybe Tim Cook can chip in for the rest. <laughs> that would be good. That would be good. Uh, yeah, he, he should support iOS a little bit more. Here's 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 an idea. Add like in the about screen, add a some sort of pong game, and then make it part of the new uh, Apple Game subscription service. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, have, that- have Apple throw like millions of dollars at them to get the app you know tuned up again, <laughs> and uh, and we'll all subscribe to the gaming service and yeah. and use transmit. Well, it's just Adding like games has certainly has- work for James. Yes, I was just going to say it's worked for James Thompson. So yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yes. All right. Well, we have been broaching the subject of Siri shortcuts and some iOS stuff, and I know you have feelings on that. We're going to talk about that right after this. This episode of Automators is brought to you by Text Expander from our friends at Smile. Text Expander lets you quickly insert longer chunks of text with a quick search or an abbreviation. 
the brand new Text Expander 6.5 is now available for macOS, and Text Expander 2.0 is available on Windows. Both new versions of Text Expander are sporting a new visual editor for snippets. The new editor makes it easier to see and edit snippet fill-ins, dates, date math, nested snippets, and more. If you already love Text Expander and like to tell people about it, you can join their affiliate program to learn a little extra. If, like me, you're always looking for ways to be a little more productive, you need Text Expander. It'll handle all of your repetitive typing tasks, leaving more time for what you do best. Today, I had one of those days. I couldn't type my own name. Every time I tried to send an email, it would go out with some version of something that wasn't quite my name. So I was called Rise, Rose without the O, uh, Roz without an E at the end, all sorts of things. I realized, of course, what I need to do is I need to change my email signature with Text Expander. So now whenever I type Liebe Kusa or mit freundlichen Grüßen at the end of my messages, I start typing and Text Expander does the rest, including my name. No more, oops, I spelt my own name wrong again. Visit textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more about Text Expander. Our thanks to Text Expander from Smile for their support of this show and Relay FM. Okay, uh, before we started recording, you started talking about iOS and automation, and I could tell that you had a head of steam going, so I stopped you. I wanted to get it on mic. Yeah. T- tell me about Siri shortcuts. What 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 is the aggravation for you? Well, okay, so... Um, first, it, it, it is a marvelous program. There's no question about it. Um, but my problems with it go all the way back. And some of these problems are my problems. They're not the problems with shortcuts itself, but some of them really are sh- shortcuts problems. Um, so when it started and it was workflow and I was reading blog posts and listening to podcasts and everybody who was just in love with this program and I started using it and I hated it. I thought that workflow was one of the worst development environments I had ever been in, uh, worse even than Automator, which I'm not a big fan of either. Um, and, I, and, and I just kind of brushed it off. Now, uh, the reason for this was my fault. No, not my fault, but this, this was because of my situation. At that time, I did not have an iPad. Um, I was still using uh, a MacBook Air and my iPhone. And so obviously on workflow, all I had was my iPhone. And I, w- I maintain to this day developing a shortcut or a workflow on an iPhone is horrible, a horrible experience because your workflow, is, because it's not split. You don't have a split between the list of actions that you can choose from over on the left, and then your workflow or shortcut nowadays uh, on the right, where you've got your list of steps. So you you have to essentially, in order to choose a, a, a new uh, task to or a new step to add into your workflow, you have to abandon seeing what your workflow is. And I just think that's horrible. I I don't like working that way. I like seeing what I'm, I like seeing what I'm working on while I'm picking the next step. And, you know, it's true. I, I should know what the next step is going to be before I leave. And I do, but I, it still bothers me that I don't see 
the workflow, the, the program that I am working on while I am shifting around and trying to find the next step. You know, if I already know that there's a sh- that there's a shortcut step available and I know what its name is, I can type in the little uh, search field down at the bottom and get right to it. And so that doesn't take me out of my my programming flow uh, much. But there are a lot of times where I'm at a step and I, I th- well, you know, this has to do with, uh, I don't know, a, an image. Let me go find what I can do with an image. And there's a certain amount of exploratory work that, that, that you do when you're making a shortcut. And as, as is the case when you're programming in any language, when you're using a library, you like to see, well, what does this library give me? You know, I've got, uh, I'm working with an image. Well, what does Python have in the Python imaging library that I can, that I can use? Well, similarly in workflow, there are different uh, shortcuts. There are different steps that uh, you can do things with, with images. And sometimes I just like to go and explore. Well, when I'm going and exploring, I can't, on an iPhone, I can't see the program that I'm looking at. So then I got an iPad uh, a couple of years ago, and I decided to try Workflow again. It was still Workflow at the time. And I said, oh, this is why people like this, because <laughs> now, I have the split, now I have the split screen, and I can still see, I can see what I'm working on while I'm off doing the exploration. And so that got much better. And I wrote several little workflows you know, in that time uh, before it switched over to shortcuts. And... You know, I have to say, still, this this visual way of writing programs is not entirely to my liking. I'd, I'd still rather just type it out. I understand that other people, uh, and especially people who don't have 35 years of programming behind them, uh, like to do it this other way, and it's a good introduction. I understand all that, but I can't help. I am who I am, and I really do prefer to just type these things out. Um, you know, possibly with some with, with documentation on the on the screen next to it as I'm writing it out. Uh, part of it is because I'm getting. I think I'm getting to sound like John Syracuse on here, but p- part of it is the uh, these blocks of steps take up a lot of space. Mm-hmm. And as you are making more and more complicated programs, you need to be able to see more to get a better sense of what's going on in your program or your script. And workflow, like all of these visual type tools, Automator as well, cuts down on how much you can see at once yeah. uh, because the blocks are so big. Uh, still, it's 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 nice. My most recent problem, though, with shortcuts is how they broke it uh, with with the two. Po- and I don't know whether it broke with the two point one or the two point one point one or the two point one point two. I can't. I don't remember exactly when it broke. Um, but they didn't fix it until two point two, and I'm I'm delighted that uh, that they did finally fix it. Uh, and and the, what they broke was uh, everything having to do with images. If you have a mm-hmm. shortcut that you would put in the sharing sheet that takes as it as its input an image, it will not work, or or it would not work for a few months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was kind, of, I, I, and I use that uh, actually a lot 
while blogging because I will have an image that's either a screenshot or a photo that I've taken, and I want to upload it to my uh, server for the blog. And I and I and I like to do that in a particular way with a particular uh, file form file name format. And I had a shortcut that did that. I had several shortcuts that did things with images. I kind of for a while there, I went all in on uh, doing things with images in shortcuts. In fact, probably the bulk of my shortcuts for a while there were all image-based shortcuts. And some of this was inspired by what Federico was doing with uh, putting the frame around uh, the, the, the iPhone type or iPad looking frame around screenshots. And uh, so I had this tremendous investment in shortcuts that dealt with images and they all broke. Mm-hmm. And so I had to go back to uploading and renaming images by hand, which, you know, is just is horrible. It's the worst thing in the world. It's, you know, it's like using punch cards again, you know, uh, you know it's, so, but you know, I gotten used to doing it with, you know, a tap here and there and, and a little bit and a small amount of typing my, my shortcut put in the, there's a, the file format, the file naming format that I use for my, for images on my blog is, uh, the date year, year, uh, you know, four digits, year, two digits, month, two digit day dash, and then a description of the image and then dot JPEG or dot PNG, whatever it happens to be. And, all of my and a lot of my blogging scripts uh, that that get links to those images assume that that is the case, and so they use the part after the dash to fill in the title and the alt fields of of an image tag. So anyway, um, a lot of this was automated for me through my shortcuts, and they all broke, and they and they kept breaking. And then Automator did an update, the two point one point three, and it didn't fix it, and. I was just, I was so angry at the Automator team during this period because this was my main use of Automator, really, was, was this stuff. And it was great until it stopped working and then it was horrible. I, I was quite fortunate because one of the things I realized very early on is I don't always remember if I've written a shortcut to accept input or for me to run it first. So what pretty much all of my shortcuts that handle something like a share sheet do is they check, they count whether or not there's input. And if there's no input, yeah. then they ask me for the right kind of input. Um, but I've built my shortcuts from from the go with that in mind. And I know some people were using a workaround where they had um, a run image shortcut shortcut where they would run it and then the, it would get whatever images they needed or something and then it would pass them to the right shortcuts um, just so they didn't have to rewrite everything. Um, but it's yeah. still very frustrating, unfortunately. Yeah, I and I had too many shortcuts that were, that were built the, the way I wanted them to be built because I really don't like the image picker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Within shortcuts, I really prefer, and I, I had done some shortcuts that way using the image picker, and I, nah, this is not for me. I really yeah. like the the way Photos presents my images, and that's what I, that's how I worked. And it, it was just, uh, I looked at it and said, well, you know, surely the shortcuts team knows that this is a problem. Exactly how this bug came through, I don't understand because it seems like. 
th their regression tests would have caught it before it got released. Um, and, and I also don't understand, this is very easy for me to say, cause I'm not the one who's doing the programming, but, but I'm angry. Uh, so I'm going to complain. I also don't understand why they didn't get this fix out faster because it was months, uh, that this problem was there and it, it was, it soured me on the program, mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, one of the reasons for shortcuts not being part of system software is that you can address things and you can add new features uh, early on and you can fix things that you've broken early you know not waiting another six months or a year to get something done mm -hmm. and that's all true but it's it seemed to happen too late for me uh, too too slowly uh, mm -hmm. for my taste uh, sh surely the shortcuts people knew that this was a problem. Yeah, I'm sure they were very upset about it being out there. It, it was rough for me because people had paid for a series shortcuts field guide and some mm. of the scripts I mm. gave them didn't work anymore. Mm. We're breaking, to, yes. So I had to build automation to explain what the problem was. Oh, <laughs> so, God. Yeah. yeah. So, but I, I do think, uh, and that, but that happens. And, and you know, the thing I, I want to emphasize about this is Apple is updating a product more than once a year. So it's like, that's good. Yes. You know, I, I mean, I know that there was a problem with this, but the fact that they continue to push, they've had two significant updates, to me is a good sign. I, I'm crossing my fingers that in June we're going to get a lot of these things fixed. The other uh, complaint you have, which I think is entirely legitimate, is the um, is just the general programming environment can be uh, difficult if you want to use it beyond the most simple function. And, you know, we've talked on this show yeah. in the past about how small the text field is when you're working in text. And I can only imagine, I have never done it on the phone because I can't imagine doing it on the phone. But, <laughs> but, the, um, but even on the iPad, like working with text in a script is, is quite difficult. And, and like, even just like, okay, you've created a block of actions here so often, uh, especially with a simplified programming environment, which Siri shortcuts is, um, you want to be able to just paste them. Like in Keyboard Maestro all the time, you get something figured oh. out, Command-C, Command-V, and then suddenly you've, you've duplicated it 17 times, and it's great. It's a little hacky that you had to do it that many times, but at least you didn't have to create it from scratch 17 times. And No, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and although... we. You know, yes, you can. You can sort of make subroutines. You can make shortcuts because shortcuts can call other shortcuts. Mm -hmm. You can make essentially subroutines that do something, and then kind of you know, you take some input, you get some output. Okay, fine. Um, it, but yeah, being able to cop sometimes that's just overkill, and you don't want to have this because you're not going to be doing this a bunch of times. And yeah, being able to copy and paste steps, not a whole, not the whole shortcut, but just some steps to be able to use either in an, two or three steps only to be able to use in another, in another shortcut or to be able to use later on in your, in the shortcut that you're writing right now and you can't do it. And that's text solves all those problems. That being said, you know the the question that I think people have to ask themselves about Siri shortcuts is: is this just a glass of water to a man in the desert? You know, which you know, you're like, we love it just because it's any kind of automation on iOS, or is it an automation system that has merit on its own? And you know, I I would tend to 
look at the later of those two. I think that as a automation system for people who are not going to learn Python and who turn me out, maybe they're not even listening to the show anymore because we talked about regular expressions at the beginning. But the, um, <laughs> you know, for people who don't want to bother with that stuff, but do want to make their devices work a little smarter for them and give them a little bit more automation. I think they've done a pretty good job. And like the integration with so many different applications and uh, you know, all the stuff they're doing while some of it has some rough patches, I feel like they're pointing it in the right direction. And uh, I, I, I'm a fan, you know, at the end of the day, I don't disagree with you. I, I, I just, you know, I obviously I, I, there are things about it I don't like, but I still use it. And um, you know, every programming language and every programming environment has things that I don't like about it. Uh, nothing is a panacea. I, th- you're exactly right. Its integration is is excellent, and I think the perhaps in in the future, what we will find to be best about shortcuts and and series shortcuts in particular is that it allows. Siri to work better than it than it did on its own because when you make a shortcut that you intend to run by voice, you say, this is the name of my shortcut. I want you to run this shortcut when I say this. And it records your voice and it knows what you said. And it's not trying to interpret what you said very much. And that I think is going gets around a lot of the problems of Siri's inability to understand what we're saying, you know, messing up what we're saying. And I think that idea, which didn't come until we actually got Siri shortcuts itself back last September, you know, it wasn't part of workflow. Um, and it was, and it was in particular, it was something that could not have been done if the workflow people had not been bought up by Apple. I think that is one of the, the best things about shortcuts as opposed to workflow. And, um, but, you know, apart from all of the things, but, you know, it's, it's got the full force of Apple behind it. Apple does seem to be behind it. Apple spent a lot of time uh, talking about this feature uh, back there in September. And, or was it, was it, were they doing it in, in, June at, at WWDC, whatever it was, whenever, when they introduced it, um, they talked a lot about it and they talked a lot about it, uh, in a way that, ma- that I think made sense and indicated that they, they were interested in promoting this. And I think it's a way of getting around, as I said, some of series shortcomings about interpretation and not understanding context. Now you can tell something to Siri, and as long as Siri can actually hear you, that there isn't enough, there isn't so much background noise that, that it can't hear you. As long as it can hear you, it knows exactly what you want to want to do. It doesn't it it doesn't do its own weird inter- sometimes weird interpretation. Yes, and just the ability to chain a bunch of things together. So, for example, when I tell my HomePod good night, it doesn't just run my good night scene in HomeKit. It does six or seven things, um, including yep. checking, you know, if I've got an early uh, work appointment for the for the next morning and reminds me to set, set my alarm if that's the case. You know, being able to do that leapfrogs over a lot of the problems that people have with automation, where they want they want to be able to tell their machine what it should do when when they ask it for certain things. And some some devices are just not capable of that. And Siri certainly wasn't before, but it's definitely getting there now, which is great. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And that, and that is one of the great things about this, you know, Siri shortcuts as opposed to just workflow. Mm-hmm. And, and and honestly, though, your complaints are completely legitimate, especially just the lack of power for a programming environment. As someone who you know spends his time writing in Python and even Apple Script, I mean, uh, Apple Script everybody makes fun of it, but it's a powerful scripting language combined with Apple events. You can do almost anything on a Mac with it, and you don't quite have that with Siri shortcuts and. And I think what you see as someone who's an experienced automator is you immediately see the ceiling of the current iteration. And and that, I think, is is of concern. But I, I, I feel like it's going to, the ceiling is going to get higher. I don't know if it's ever going to give you the unlimited uh, uh, power of automation you want, but it's definitely going to get higher. Yeah, well, I don't think it, I don't think it can because Apple doesn't, Apple wants iOS to be a more locked down system than the Mac. In fact, it's making Mac m- more locked down uh, than it than it ever has been before. And there are legitimate reasons for that. We live in a different world uh, where security is far more important to all of us, and so it's it's legitimate that Apple has locked things down more. Uh, but yeah, it it is. So you know, we were when, when we were talking about regular expressions, we talked about. I'm sorry, we're, I'm cutting your audience away again. But, um, you know, you, you start with the simple stuff and then you move on and you can move, you can work up to very complicated things the more you learn about regular expressions. And you can do that with, and you can do that with almost any other language. You can do that with Perl. You can do that with Python. You can start off writing sort of baby type languages as you learn more about the language it and its capabilities, and also just about programming in general. You can do the same thing in shortcuts, but, and I've done it in shortcuts because when I started doing things in shortcuts, man, my shortcuts were stupid. They, I didn't understand how magic variables worked and how you can extract things out of magic variables. It's just there, and there's a there's a thing that is not that is unlike. Almost every other programming, maybe every other programming language that I have used, and it's an extremely powerful thing, and I didn't understand it at all. And so, uh, people like uh, Matt Casanelli were, you know, sort of gently telling me, "Hey, look, idiot, you need to use magic variables here, and things and things will be much better." Um, so, so there there is there is a learning curve with short, with shortcuts, and you can you can get better, and you can work start off like like I started off, and eventually you can get to where Federico is. Uh, Federico Vitici, everybody knows who Federico is. So, uh, uh, so, but yeah, I am sealing the ceiling. It's, it's inevitable, I think, that there's going to be a ceiling. The ceiling comes from the fact that the individual apps on your, on your phone are only going to let you do certain things. And, you know, uh, there's just no way around that. Well, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. I I am encouraged by the fact that there have been two significant updates in between um, iOS updates. Uh, That's encouraging to me. I I do think that Apple, at least for the immediate future, is invested in Siri shortcuts. 
So I'm hoping that in June we get a whole bunch of new toys and Rose and I have stuff to geek out over for another <laughs> year. And, yep. uh, you know, but I guess we're just going to have to wait and see. I mean, the, the other fear in the back of my mind is what if Apple loses interest in this, you know? Because, <laughs> like, I feel, I feel like Automator started with the best of intentions, but at some point, you know, they just didn't give Sal enough to work with over there to build it into what it could have been. Yeah, Automator always, I think, yeah, Automator always suffered. When I was trying to use Automator, I'd always get to a step and then say, uh, crap, there's no step, there's 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 no piece that I can stick in here in Automator. Mm-hmm. And then I would end up going back and doing it in Apple Script. Yeah, or writing a script to drop into the Automator. One or the other. Yeah. yeah, something like that. And, and it was, and it, well, the thing was, if I had to write a script to drop into Automator, why don't I just write the damn script entirely? Mm-hmm. Write it entirely as a script, which which often I did. Sometimes you know you could you could combine the two, um, and I and I do have Automator actions that basically run a script. They do a couple of little things, and then they run a script, uh, and they they work out fine. But yeah, it it suffered from the fact that its library of available actions or steps or whatever the hell they're called in, in automator um, was limited and didn't seem to get significantly increased yeah. over time. I mean, that's something that we're definitely seeing now because I mean, Microsoft wrote uh, action blocks for automator and they were included in previous versions of office, but the last, I think two versions of office, two significant releases, 2016, 2019, they removed them. They're gone. Um, whereas shortcuts released last summer and they've added so, and so many people have added actions. It is amazing. Well, I mean, you know, Ben Waldy is the guy who wrote those for Microsoft and now he works for Apple. So I, I, I suspect there's nobody at Microsoft that knows how to write the automated. Action. <laughs> that would explain a lot. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it is unfortunate when things seem to get, especially of course, of course, when it's something that you rely on seems to get abandoned. Um, and it's it's just you know Apple Script has gone through this in the past, not just Automator, but Apple Script itself. You know, is Apple Script dead? Is Apple? It's not. You know, a few years ago they actually came. They, amazingly, they decided to come out with an entirely new language that looks at Apple events. Uh, you know, JavaScript for applications. And I don't like it because I'm not a big fan of JavaScript. And also because I find it, you know how you how you write an Apple script, which is you start writing and then you realize, I don't know exactly how the dictionary for this particular app that I want to automate works. And I, you look at the dictionary and you don't really understand, can I... You know, can I just, is, does it have the word selection available to it? Does it have this? Does it have that? And you just start typing into Google your problem. The solution is almost there are lots of solutions for Apple Script problems because Apple Script has been around for such a long time. It's very hard to find um, JXA solutions or is it JXA or JSA, whatever it is, in JavaScript um, solutions for these problems because it just hasn't been around for very long. So I end up yeah. still writing mostly in Apple Script, even though it's not a language that I particularly like. Um, it's uh, it's it's the only one where I can get things done, certain things done. Well, we sure like all the automation you've been doing, and, and especially like the fact that you share so much of it so freely over at leancrew.com 
or wh- whether the, we call it the blog title or <laughs> the, yeah, what, the snowman yeah, page, you know, whatever we're going to call it. Uh, we're going to have links for all this in the, in the show notes. So you can go check it out. And I, and I strongly recommend anyone listening uh, to follow Dr. Drang over at linkcrew.com. Sign up for the RSS. Uh, I love your blog because it's high signal to noise. You don't put a post up every day, but when you do put a post up, it's always something that I want to read. And we all really appreciate that. Well, thank you very much. And, uh, and thanks for coming on the show. Are there any other places people should look for you on the internet? Uh, well, I'm Dr. Drang on Twitter. And I don't tweet. I don't blog as much as I used to, and I don't tweet as much as I used to. I happen to be going through a very busy time at work, um, but uh, I hope to do more, especially of the blogging. Maybe not so much more of the tweeting. But if you follow me on Twitter, at least you'll know when the new posts come out. We're going to have a ton of links in this show, including uh, links to the uh, the specific drafts automations and that invoicing system that Dr. Drang was talking about. Yes. Uh, also, we didn't talk about it at the top of the show, but there's still space in the meetups in Orange County and San Jose that we've got uh, planned for June. Uh, they are filling up, though. So if you're interested in doing that, let us know, because we're going to have to make some decisions about locations here real quick. And um, and thanks a lot for listening. Uh, we are the Automators. You can find us over at relay.fm slash automators. Rose, anything exciting going on over at roseorchard.com lately? Well, I, I am, I've recently switched my blogging software, so I'm automating more things and hopefully posting rather more because it's going to be a lot easier now because I'm on WordPress. So yes, keep an eye out there. And don't forget, you can follow Automators at Automators FM on Twitter. And there's also the, uh, the, the uh, discourse group over at talk.automators.fm. Uh, if you like drafts, we talked about drafts. Rose did a really great job of reviewing the app over at Mac Stories. We'll put a link in the show notes. And I did the uh, introductory video for the drafts for Mac. So it's like a 10-minute video, just kind of walking through how it works. And we'll put a link at that in the show notes as well. So uh, thanks a lot for listening. And thanks, Dr. Drang, for coming on. And we'll see you all in two weeks.